The study of geometry, music, and astronomy was considered essential to a rational understanding of God, man, or nature. And no one could accompany Pythagoras as a disciple who was not thoroughly familiar with these sciences. Many came seeking admission to his school. Each applicant was tested on these three subjects, and if found ignorant, was summarily dismissed. Pythagoras was not an extremist. He taught moderation in all things rather than excess in anything, for he believed that an excess of virtue was itself a vice. One of his favorite statements was, We must avoid with our utmost endeavor and amputate with fire and sword and by all other means, from body sickness, from soul ignorance, from belly luxury, from a city sedition, and from a family discord, and from all things excess. Pythagoras also believed that there was no crime equal to that of anarchy. All men know what they want, but few know what they need. Hello and good afternoon. I'm Douglas Bowles, and you're listening to 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio and thesyncbook.com, a weekly conversation with the interesting artists and thinkers of our day. You can find us online at 42minutes.com, and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. It's Sunday, the 25th of January, so grab a beer and drop your pants. Send your wife and kids to France. Quit your job and light a fart. Yank your favorite private park. It's a place where men can come together. Look at the cans on that chick named Heather. Juggy girls on trampolines. Time to loosen those blue jeans. Hello and welcome. It's the 42 Minutes Man Show. And as Alan recently pointed out, it is time for us again to palm our manly fouls. That is our manly pee hole. And I did not plan that. But as far as things go, I guess it makes pretty good sync sense, you know? I do need to make a couple quick corrections, though. The other night, I articulated the perennial philosophy a little differently than its original meaning, which is not an undying quality, which I alluded to, but that everything that happens in our world, everything that we can hear and see on this earthly plane has its counterpart in the divine realm, which is richer, stronger, and more enduring than our own, thus perennial. Every earthly reality is only a pale shadow of its archetype, the original pattern of which this is simply an imperfect copy. It is only by participating in the divine perennial life that the mortal, fragile human beings fulfill their potential. Of course, that participation does include our cycle of seasons and the undying God. So there's that. I also stated that the reader's edition of The Secret Teachings of All Ages was a condensed version. This is not the case. Although the book has been published a number of times and ways, the only thing condensed in the reader's edition is the page size. The earlier versions were big folios that were hard to take into the bath with you. Thank you, Tarcher Penguin. I should also note that an online version of this volume exists too at sacred-text.com slash ESO slash STA. Explore it if you'd like. Today we're exploring the secret teachings of Pythagoras, and we'll do so with a pie-eyed math magician, Marty Leeds. Marty Leeds is the author of three books, Pi and the English Alphabet, Volume 1 and 2, and The Peacock's Tale, The Alchemical Writings of Claudia Pavonis. All available on Amazon.com and MartyLeeds33.com. His third book in the series, Pi and the English Alphabet, Volume 3, is slated for release in 2015, a free chapter of which is available from SyncBook Press at thesyncbook.com slash beta. 
He has an ongoing lecture series available for free at YouTube slash Marty Leeds 33 and is the host of the SyncBook radio podcast, the Marty Leeds Mathematical Radio Hour, discussing everything from myth, math, spirituality, philosophy, and sacred geometry. Available at thesyncbook.com slash Marty Leeds. Marty has been a guest on many popular podcasts, including this one for episode number 121. And he recently had an article featured on GrahamHancock.com. He was a featured speaker at Free Your Mind Conference in Philadelphia in 2013 and will be appearing this March as part of the River of Stars Astrology Conference in Hawaii as well as a part of the Modern Knowledge Tour this summer, info of which can be found under the Events tab on his website, MartyLeads33.com. It's always a pleasure. Welcome, Marty. How are you doing? Good, man. How are you? I'm all right. It's it's pretty sunny. We've had a lot of fog and mist lately, and so it's nice to see both the sun and the stars. Let's dive into it. Pythagoras. How does this square with the kind of mathematics that you've come to do? Well, I think what Pythagoras was ultimately teaching was that there was a universality to um, mathematics. That, and of course, there there is. Mathematics is the language which God wrote the universe in, according to Galileo. When people talk about Pythagorean mathematics or Pythagorean numerology or you know Chaldean numerology or anything like this, ultimately you're talking about just the study of mathematics, and that includes things like. Well, arithmomancy, the theology of arithmetic. There, there's a, there's a, um, you know, I mean, Pythagoras was a metaphys- metaphysician. You know, I mean, he was, he basically understood that there was something that was um, deeply spiritual about the study of mathematics, and uh, so I think ultimately that's what he was teaching in his, his, you know, his academies and his schools. So, um, uh, you know, I think that's what. Uh, Pythagoras is all about, and you know, and he's been elevated to the status of a god because of his um, connectivity to uh, and how um, how enriched he was in this study you know I mean he's had an enormous effect um, you know for you know you're talking five six century BC and we still talk about him today so you're talking about 2500 years of this man um, having an, an enormous influence on you know Western and Eastern society so and had you read Manly P Hall before yeah I've read a bunch of Manly P Hall and I've listened to hundreds of hours of his lectures um, so yeah, I've, I've read the secret teachings of all ages. Um, he's got a bunch of texts. Um, what was it? The lost keys of Freemasonry is another really good one. Um, yeah, I mean, he's just got a, a, everything that I've read from Manly P. Hall is really great. So what was it like to revisit Manly P. Hall this time? I enjoyed the hell out of it. I, re- I ended up reading the chapters, uh, a couple chapters yesterday and I just ate it up again and I was going over the notes that I had, you know, cause I was like bookmarking the pages and, you know, earmark pages and underlying passages and that sort of thing. And yeah, I just ate it up. Um, I, I, you know, I think his, I think Manly P. Hall was definitely, um, connected we, you know, we spoke off the air here, <laughs> but, um, about the fact that this was, might've been a little premature of how young he was, but at the same time, I think that he was on the right course to understanding the, the deeper levels of this material that may, may he may have fleshed out in his later years, you know? Yeah. Um, which, which version do you have? Um, I have the one that you, you were speaking of. This is the, um, the reader's edition. Yeah. The, the, the Tartar Penguin yeah. version. So, and so it's, it's a book size book. I mean, it's, fat it's a big fat book but you can it is it's got some girth yeah (laughs) it's manly it's manly (laughs) what do you make of that sink 
I mean, I, I did. It was just funny to call it the Man Show because it's mainly P. Hall. But then, what? what, what <laughs> I've, I've been doing these shows for for half a month now, almost a month, and there's and a few, few left. But there's something. We're resorting to dick jokes, is that? <laughs> yeah, and then it's all dudes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you know, to me, the the entire world is a, a, a synchronicity, and so when we talk about even understanding the unity of opposites or the coincidence of positorum, ultimately you're talking about sex. You're talking about you know the cosmic union that's happening. So the fact that this stuff plays out and you know his name is really you know to me it's it's funny, but you know. Well, the, right. I didn't get Alan's joke at first. He said you're going to palm the manly. The phallus, the manly phallus, and I'm like, what are you talking? And so his name is Manly Palmer Hall, P H A Fall. You know, uh -huh. sure. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, even the letter P, like if you know, if you want to get into symbolism, right? I mean, what you're you have a penis and you pee with your penis, and what does the what does the letter P look like? Does that not look like a shaft and a ball to you? Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I actually one ball just, hall. Yeah, one ball. <laughs> I don't. I don't think we're securing any listeners right now, Doug. <laughs> no. Um, no, actually, I did this. Um, I just recently did this uh, breakdown of the English alphabet using uh, the symbolism and understanding how um, basically we can understand sexual union through the letters of our English alphabet and actually the procreation of human beings um, in, in a mathematical sense, which is not something we can really talk about here because it's you know symbolic and it's really you kind of have to spell it out, but. Um, you know, the fact that phonetically we have P and it looks like that and we could we could look at the O as in the ovum. We could look at the Q. That of the Q is, of course, a sperm that's breaking that O. We can look at the cracking of the egg with the R. We can look at the serpent sperm, slithering serpent, spermatozoa of the S to create the man. There's a T, which is U, coming down from the heaven, which is V. And, of course, then we can go into W. This is the only letter in the English alphabet that has um, two syllables, right? W, we could talk. We, that we could take that directly into alchemy with, you know, the Shiva and Shakti, Adam and Eve, Yin and Yang. Um, you know, the the two heads of alchemy, and then X Y Z being the, the coordinates of the human being. Uh, the the entire English alphabet, in my opinion, is is a symbolic story that's being played out. And I think ultimately the Pythagoreans realized that the grand story of the grand architect is playing out in every which way, in every single thing, every part of creation. And that's why, you know, we could talk about their understanding of, you know, monotheism, their, their understanding of the wholeness or totality, totality of God, that, that God is expressed within every single thing. And so, you know, we're, we're going to find this stuff within English, the, the English alphabet. We're going to find it within the Greek alphabet. We're going to find it in all these things because that's the, the creative way in which, which God works. You know, I think this is ultimately what um, all, of the, all of the ancient spiritual esoteric or, you know, mystical mathematicians were coming to and understanding that they were coming to, you know, Francis Bacon said, you know, if a, if a, if a man's wit be wandering, let him study mathematics, you know, um, his wit be wandering, meaning if he's creative, let him go into that study of mathematics, you know, yeah, even Albert Einstein said, uh, pure, pure math, pure mathematics is in its way, the poetry of logical ideas. So here's Albert Einstein saying that there's a poetry to mathematics. You know, ultimately, I think this is what was being taught at the, um, you know, in uh, Cortona with, by, you know, Pythagoras in his mystery schools. What do you make about what he had to say about, what, is, what did they call that? 
neoman number numbermancy. What do you what do you call that? Oh, arithmomancy. There we go. Well, I mean, so it it seems like I remember in the chapter that he was saying that the English language is unsuitable for that. That you, if you're going to do it, you need to do it in the original Hebrew or Greek. Oh yes. Um... Yes, what he was talking, actually, in that part of the chapter, he was talking about the fact that when we look at a term like Jehovah, you have to go back to the original Tetragrammaton, which is Hivav, Hiyah, to understand the numerals to it. The reason that he, I think the, ultimately the reason he was saying that is because we still have surviving today the ciphers for language of the languages of, of, of Greek and Hebrew. So we can actually translate that into the English language, at least in my opinion, what I'm trying to lay forward, with the with an English cipher, so um, I understand what what you're saying there. So, um, but you can actually make correlations between the two when we understand that there's ciphers written for every single language. Yeah, and so he says yes. He says that there is an uh, English cipher in vogue, but it's but it it's, doesn't have any history. It doesn't have any um, historicity or something, right? It doesn't have any. What is that? What is the accuracy? Say? Is a matter of legitimate dispute. Yes, exactly. Because, but your cipher is actually different than. Well, th this cipher, you know, n not mine, of course, but you know, this cipher is actually based on these esoteric and spiritual principles. In fact, this cipher is based on six resting on seven, right? So we go A B C D E F E F six letters resting on the seventh, go back down. Well, the word uh, gematria is, of course, just um, a variation or just basically another word for Kabbalah. Well, Kabbal comes from Kabbah or Kaaba, which is cube, which, of course, has six sides. And so we have the fact that a direct relationship between the cube, six sides resting on a central point of the cube, right? So six, the center point of the cube. This is also the directions of space of the human being, X, Y, Z, with their opposites resting on a central seven central point. And so we can see that these esoteric principles, when we take these and put them into the English alphabet, we do see that there's, uh, you know, that there's um, a history here, you know, that these are, these are elements and principles that are inherent within simple geometry. And then we take these principles that are inherent within simple geometry, within the mathematics of human consciousness, and take it into the English alphabet. And then, of course, we see that we can establish the cipher that way. So... Yeah, so you're saying everything everything points. I think I th these are these are laws of God. These are outflowing expressions of the laws of God, right? This is what mathematics is. Mathematics is, as we said, you know, the, the language of God. Um, you know, when we start to understand that there's there's architecture, that there's principles, and that these principles will play out wherever, right? Going back to when we were talking about. Um, the English alphabet and how I was kind of explaining very, very briefly, of course, that there's basically the, 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 the process of human procreation that's embedded in, in the symbolism of the English alphabet. Well, that's something that's inherent within the numbers, that's inherent within, you know, that's just inherent within the human experience. So therefore, we should assume that it's inherent with creation. So the ideas of death and resurrection, rebirth, the rebirth of the sun, all of these things are something, these are mathematical principles that are inherent in creation and they're going to play out in all of these myriad different ways, you know. So once we learn those, once we learn those fundamental principles that are inherent within the mathematics, then we can come to understand our world. And that means everything from the three dimensions of the space that you live in to the language that you use. Is, was there anything in the reading that you felt like Manly P. Hall got wrong? 
from your vantage point of a you know someone who studies esoteric mathematics you know um not not particularly particularly in this book but i was listening to a lecture from him and i'm not sure which lecture it was and it might have even been on pythagoras but um where he was saying where he made the claim that that gematria or kabbalah did not survive into the english language right and you know so he he was exalting the you know the greek and the hebrew and the fact that we find this in arabic that sort of thing but that he made the claim that it didn't survive in english well i would I would say that he's just 100% incorrect there. And the fact that he's part of an organization being the Freemasons that even have the compass and square, the symbolism to decode the mathematics of the English alphabet shows how, how wrong he is, you know, in, in that respect. And, you know, of course, I'm not trying to put him down because he was an absolutely brilliant man, but you know, we all make mistakes, right? No one's infallible except the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> and Robert Anton Wilson. <laughs> and Robert Anton Wilson, yeah. <laughs> So could you give the listeners a, a thumbnail introduction to esoteric mathematics or Pythagorean, like what is it that the, these secret teachings are, are talking about? Is there, is there an easy way to say that? Yeah, actually, there's probably, well, one of the ways to, to introduce this, a fundamental, which is considered numerological, but, you know, if we get if we get down to it, we're talking about mathematics because, you know, numerology just means number logic. Well, you know, is there logic in numbers? Well, that's this is where logic, rationale, and reason come from is is numbers, right? This is where we can obtain when we say, hey, can I confirm something? Right? Well, you could you could you know, give me your wild theories and your and your your conjecture and things like that. But when we go to mathematics, these are things that can be verified, confirmed because of the exactitude and precision of of mathematics, right? Well, one of the things that you know, he was taught was, or that he was teaching was the Tetractus. And this can actually take us right into the principles, the foundational or fundamental principles of numerology. So the Tetractus was this cornerstone of the Pythagorean schools. Many people know of A squared plus B squared equals C squared, right? Which is attributed to Pythagoras, but many people don't know what the Tetractus is. The Tetractus is just the numbers one, two, three, four in a pyramidal form. And this adds up to 10. So 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 equals 10. So 10 is the principles of creation. Basically, in fact, um, the Tetractus, here, this is the, this is the Pythagorean prayer to the Tetractus. And it says, and this, this is glorifying and exalting this holiest of number 10 created by the Tetrad or the 4 or the 1, 2, 3, 4, of course, we find this in the Tetragrammaton being the, the grammar of four. It says, uh, this is the Pythagorean prayer. It says, Bless us, divine number, thou who generated gods and men. O holy, holy Tetractus, thou that containest the root and source of the eternal flowing creation. For the divine number begins with the profound, pure unity until it comes to the holy four. Then it begets the mother of all, the all-comprising, all-bounding, the firstborn, the never-swerving, the never-tiring, holy ten, the key holder of all. Well, what he's actually talking about there, besides the the one through one, you know, one, two, three, four of the Tetractus, is he's talking about a fundamental principle within within uh, number philosophy, the, the theology of arithmetic, numerology being this this idea of decimal reduction or decimal parity, which gives you the decimal system, deca meaning ten. These are the numbers zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And of course, those ten numbers can create any other number in existence. And of course, where do we find the number 10? Well, we find it on our two hands. 
So we find that the appendages of our, of our two hands give us the number 10. And how this is done is that basically any number can be reduced down to the numbers 1 through 9 with the placeholder or the magnifier of power being the 0. So, and this gives us 10 digits. And so this is something that is, it's not Chaldean, it's not Freemasonic, it's not Pythagorean, it's just something that's found within the mathematics of creation. And once again, this is expressed on your two hands. So the detractus by glorifying the number 10 is actually pointing to this fundamental in numerology. Now, so when we break down, does that make sense? So when we break down, when we go 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, as soon as you get to the holy number 10, you can break that down to 1 through 9. So 1 plus 0 is 1. You go to 11, 1 plus 1 is 2. 12, 1 plus 2 is 3, etc. So it doesn't matter how big or complex the number is, you're automatically going to be able to break it down using this numerolog numerological principle to the numbers zero through one through nine with zero being the placeholder. And so it shows the, the prominence of the number 10, once again, that's just inherent and innate within the creation. And of course, where once again, where do we find that? We find it on our two hands. Um, so that's, that's, that's one way to understand the esoteric nature of what Pythagoras was teaching. Now, of course, we don't really know what Pythagoras was teaching because we don't have any written history, none, of Pythagoras. All we have is what the um, his disciples, his biographers, people that came after Pythagoras, you know, the legends surrounding this man. So, all right. So I, we had a guest uh, recently. His name's Simon Critchley on the show, and he wrote a book called The Book of Dead Philosophers. And it, it's a it's a fun book, but basically he's a philosopher and he's writing about how philosophers died. And what he says is Pythagoras, 580 to 500 BC. Sadly, it's now almost universally assumed by classical scholars that Pythagoras never existed. It seems that there was a group of people in southern Italy called Pythagoreans who invented a founder for their beliefs, who accordingly lived and died in a manner consistent with those beliefs. But let's not allow Pythagoras's mere non-existence to deter us as the stories that surround him are so compelling. You know, he, he makes a great point. We don't have uh, we don't have any written record. I mean, we could say the same thing about Buddha. We could say the same thing about Jesus. In fact, a lot of the a lot of the mythological motifs that we see that with guys like Jesus and Buddha and things like that were actually grafted onto Pythagoras as well. He was considered to be um, um, there was an immaculate conception with his mother, supposedly, right? Of course, we don't really know. Um, he was elevated to the status of a god, often called the sun god. I think even Manly P. Hall talks about that in the book. So was there even a man named Pythagoras? I mean, who knows? You know, we, we don't have not a single person that's listening to this or anybody in the entire world can prove whether he was existed or not. So all we have is the legends, you know? That's a good point, though. I mean, Manly P. Hall basically starts and says how striking the, the similarities are between Jesus's story and Pythagoras's as far as mm -hmm. the, the origin myth goes. And then when we look once again about how, how influential this, this man has been, you know, it's like, okay, is, what, is this just a living archetype of once again, the apotheosis of man about how man can become divine through what, through the study of what? Well, mathematics, right? I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's no coincidence that Jesus was a carpenter and a carpenter of old used what tools in order to, you know, construct compass in a square, of course. So the idea that we find, you know, the mathematics attributed to Jesus as well is, you know, it just, it, it starts to make a lot of sense when you get, when you get into 
these these subjects like sacred sacred geometry, the philosophy of number, number symbolism, numerology, that sort of thing. Manly P. Hall attributes the word philosophy to Pythagoras, which is interesting also. Yeah, well, um, this, I mean, this, when we break down the word philosophy, this is, this is something that's really important because it really gets to the language and it really kind of uh, clarifies what philosophy really is. Philosophy is done through the study of number, period, because that's what the word philosophy is telling you. So phi, lasso, and phi, phi and phi are phonetic sounds for the golden ratio. Of course, we all know the Fibonacci sequence, the golden section, the golden triangle, the golden, golden ratio. So when we look at phi, lasso, phi, this is, of course, where we get phi, phi, fo, fum, I smell the blood, I'm an Indian, or phi, phi, fo, fum. You know, this is um, King Lear, of course, and it's also um, Jack and the Beanstalk, right? We hear these phonetic sounds. Well, this is from the Greek alphabet. So phi, lasso, phi, phylos means loving brethren. So you have the, the idea of the love of the, 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 the brotherhood of man, you know, the, the love of that, and then also wh where is that done? Well, it's done through phi and phi. It's done, it's done through the golden mean golden section. So if we're going to ruminate and ponder on the nature of reality, according to Pythagoras, whether he was real or not, according to the word, that's done through mathematics. You know, and most people, you know, it's really interesting when you, when you bring in like theology into mathematics because most people think that there isn't a connection there. Um, in fact, um, Steph, you know Stefan Molyneux, right? Yeah, he runs the number one philosophy show on the net, right? And he's an atheist, and and he boasts the fact that he, he's got like a million downloads or whatever, you know, a month, and supposedly runs the number one philosophy show on the net. And I heard him say at one point that, um, you know, but this is this is pretty hilarious actually. But that he's he said that um, mathematics and religion go together like rape and sex. And so, and this is a guy who runs the number one philosophy show on the net. And I'm like, dude, the, the, the absurdity of the amount of ignorance that that statement holds is, is just asinine because, you know, we're, we're talking about a book right now that you know, how many chapters in this book are talking directly about mathematics and that there's, there's spirituality or theological concepts directly related to them. You know, there's an entire study of sacred geometry of where there's, we look at temples, cathedrals, tabernacles, churches all over the world that are built with sacred geometrical principles. And yet here's a guy, a, a modern philosopher, if you'd call him that, that is completely denying any of this stuff. And you look on my bookshelf, there's 30 books on my shelf that talk exactly about this. So, you know, it's, it's really interesting that most, uh, a lot of contemporary people, though sacred geometry is kind of coming back into the fold, that have no idea about the fact that Theological concepts are actually understood best through mathematical principles. Now, do you think so? That's that's an interesting point. When you look at a temple and you find the divine language, I think Manly mm -hmm. Hall would say yes. This is purely intentional. That these people knew the mystery and they were encoding it into the structure. I'm. I wonder if we can't help speak the divine language when we when we do things in a creative fashion what where where do you shake out with that kind of thought that's that's a both and for sure you know i think that we do automatically just by our you know our inherent makeup we we you know these principles just sort of like flow out of us but i think once you come to understand them you are able to work with them more where and and this is this this is the experience that I've had in my own life where these synchronicities, these magical like mini miracles, just happen to show up again and again, um, because you seem to be working with this language. Th this language creates everything. 
So it's happening through you. I mean, there's no question that you are made by the template of the golden ratio, right? I mean, this is what Leonardo da Vinci was showing in the Vitruvian Man. I mean, we could go, we could talk about that for the next hour or whatever, but there's no question that you're made from these fundamental mathematical principles. So obviously you're going to exude them in your daily life. But when you come to understand them, then I think that you, there's that connectivity. That's like you're, you know, it's almost like you're, you're flowing with the creation. And we can go back to what, you know, the, the Pythagorean prayer about, you know, the, the ever flowing way, the ever flowing creation, you know? Um, so I, I think this is what, these ancient mystics and and spiritually enlightened people were doing, you know, was um, learning this information and then and being able to flow with God. One of the interesting things that you said that I had never heard, but which sounds fascinating, that each letter tells its own story in a sequential fashion, which is interesting because Manly P. Hall does the same thing in this chapter, in this series of chapters, uh, with number, and so he, he defines the quality of each number and how it begets the next number and how they connect in things, which, you know, my own brain relates more visually to the tarot and how each of the cards is part of a sequence, you know, like a comic book chopped into sections and how they relate to the other cards in various ways. I yes. wonder, do you think, I mean, could you talk about the numbers and their relate or their qualities well, a little me... and then maybe... Do you think there will ever be, you know, so in physics they're looking for a grand unified theory. Do you think there will be like a grand unified esoteric theory where somehow all these various things connect on some level or is that already present? It's it's already here. We have a grand, in my opinion, we have a grand unified theory, but you have to unify all of your studies in order to understand that. And so ultimately that means bringing, well, I mean, it's the seven you know, it's the uh, you know, it's the quadrivium, the trivium. It's the seven classic liberal arts coming together to want to make one unified study, done ultimately through the the, the you know the the branch of mathematics and um, the branch of mathematics. Plato here, I got a quote from Plato right here. It says, "No other branch of education has such a vast application than mathematics." But its greatest advantage is that it wakes up the individual who is by nature sleepy and slow-witted, sharpening his memory and wits and leading him beyond his normal capacity by divine art. So the story, the grand unified story, is the uh, the unfolding story that we find in our unfolding number line. It starts with zero, and it goes one, two, three, four, five, six, it, just as you would count on your fingers. And this is what... Um, in fact, I, I need to read this because if we're going to talk about the unfolding story of our creation in this sort of sequential way, this is exactly what Manley P. Hall is talking about in, um, this is page 210 of the book. It says, the Pythagoreans declared arith arithmetic to be the mother of the mathematical sciences. This is, this is proved by the fact that geometry, music, and astronomy are dependent upon it, but it is not dependent upon them. So, And he goes on to say that thus geometry may be removed, but arithmetic will remain. So we could remove geometry entirely, but arithmetic will, will remain. But if arithmetic be removed, geometry is eliminated. So, and what's really interesting about arithmetic is when you look at the word, arith comes from the Latin ritus, and ritus means a religious, um, a religious custom, right? Mm -hmm. So arithmetic, and what is arithmetic? It's just simple counting. That's what arithmetic means. So all we're doing is counting. We're adding. That's all we're doing. A rith comes from ritus. This is, of course, where we get a ritual or, or a, a rite, R-I-T-E. So a religious custom in arithmetic, and then you have metic. Well, what is a metic? Met, met comes from, of course, meter or to measure, 
right? Um, you know, that sort of thing. And then, of course, what is a medic? Well, it's medicine. So you, in the word arithmetic, which simply means counting, which, of course, once again, we just counted the, the, the principle of the decad on our fingers, we have a religious custom that is medicine. And where does that religious custom of medicine come from? Well, it comes from counting. And so when we look at what and, and where the word digit in Latin is uh, digitus, well, digitus means finger. Mm-hmm. So the idea that how do we find that how do we find that medicine how do we find that health and that healing well apparently from guys like you know Copernicus and Galileo and Kepler and Plato and Pythagoras all of these guys are saying it's found through the study of mathematics and so ultimately I think once again this is what Pythagoras was teaching so Perfect. does that kind of sum up that answer it, little, yes you know? it does so when we look at the unfolding of creation. Right. What we're looking at is the story that's being played out to us in our unfolding, you know, our unfolding number line. Climb, young lamb, up the number ladder and seek your answers and question what you find. Climb and look at the symbolic story that's being played out through zero, the nothingness coming into oneness that's split into the duality that's created the, the threefold, uh, you know, and we can go to four, etc. When you look at the Tetractus, this is exactly what the, the, the Tetractus is, is representing. It's the unfoldment of creation through um, geometry. So we have the one point, one point it can be, you know, it's infinitely large or infinitely small. That one point becomes two points, those two points become two points in a line. We have no space, we have no plane, we have no place for movement. The two points become the three, the three become the holy triangle. That, that actually creates space. Then of course we add that fourth to create the tetrad, to create the holy ten, to create that pyramidal form, and the four gives us the three dimensions, which is the tetrad, which is of course in um, you know Platonic study, of course that's fire. The tetrahedron, uh, you know, the you know tetrahedron is fire, of course. So you have the unfoldment and the creation of geometric space within the numbers one, two, three, four, and you know let's let's not forget that with the playfulness and creativity of mathematics, what is one, two, three, four? Well, it's a it's a numeric permutation or anagram for pi. It's three, one, four, two. So, so all of this stuff is found literally just by walking up the number line. And then with that in mind, I mean, it, it alludes to this, what he would say, the difference between physical astronomy and philosophical astronomy or physical science, you know, and, and, and uh, philosophical science. What's, what's the difference there? Well, basically what you're bringing into, um, you know, conjunction or whatever is spirit and matter, right? A lot of, um, when we look at modern science, a lot of modern science will actually completely dismiss the idea of the other, right? Or that there, there's only the material world. It's only what we can measure. The fact that, you know, if you say that God is um, beyond existence, well, basically what you're saying is God is non-existent. You know, philosophically, that's what you're saying. But when you get into the when when you get into real philosophy, when you get into a mathematical philosophy, you realize that there is an immateriality, there is an other side, and that's represented by what's the first thing in our number line? Well, it's zero. It's no thing. It's nothingness. And yet, look at the power of zero. Zero by itself is something. It's a symbol that designates nothing, signifies nothing, and yet there's something there. Zero means nothing. It means no thing. It means immateriality. You put a zero at the end of a number, like one, and all of a sudden now it has an, an order of a magnitude of power of 10. So basically, what are you saying philosophically? What's, it's inherent and in, in, in innate within the mathematics is that 
zero or no thing or the immateriality actually has a whole lot of power. And so when we talk about material sciences being able to quantify and measure something, that's one aspect of the mathematics. But then there's also the qualitative aspect of the mathematics. And that's recognizing that, you know, that there's an underpinning geometry, that there is that other, that there, there is that spiritual realm. And I think that's what's being pointed to when that, I think that's, personally, that's exactly what I found with, with my own study of mathematics, is the uh, clarification of the fact that there is the, the two sides, the, you know, how many how many ways you want to look at it occidental oriental spirit and matter celestial terrestrial you know whatever you want to say but it's those two things and it's only by merging those two things do we get a full comprehension of of what this universe is okay we're we're starting to wind down a little bit um for our listeners could you explain the pythagorean why yeah, the, I mean, the Pythagorean Y is, um, it's found in the lambda. So the lambda, the, the majuscule, um, or, the, you know, the uppercase of the lambda is, is basically, well, it looks like an A, except without the crossbar. And the, the Y is actually the upside, is it an upside down Y? And that's the minuscule version or the lowercase letter of the lambda. Now, the lambda is, of course, the lamb. It's the lamb. It's the just as you see that the lamb that taketh away the sins of the world. You're talking about in astronomy or astrology, of course, you're talking about Aries, the right ascension. And so we have the right ascension being in the east, zero through 30 degrees. That's that one twelfth part of the circle that represents illumination or enlightenment. And it's, of course, it's always been the lamb. Moses has been shown with ram's horns, you know, the, the, the ram's horn valued, you know, uh, these are the, the pillars, the Greek pillars that you see that come up and they, of course, they, they, uh, they spiral out in two different ways, represented by the lamb's horn. So we have the lambda and the Y in the lambda is actually representing the, exactly what we were just talking about. It's the left way and the right way. It's the, you know, it's, it's the fork of the road. What's interesting about this is that every moment that you live, you know, in, in life, you're, you have, you know, a choice. You can choose the left or the right way, the good or the bad. You're, you're, you know, you always have that choice. But the, 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 the beautiful thing about the why is that it actually brings those two choices together into one, you know what I mean, one, one line. So it's basically understanding that there's a, there's a gradation of experience created by polarity, created by good and evil, created by up and down, created by as above and so below, but they are one unified movement. And so the why is actually representative of that. It's also the um, three lines and four points. Three lines and four points. And we could talk about, you know, once again, trivium, quadrivium. We could talk about the fact that this is actually representative of squaring the circle, which is the circle is three, earth is four is a square you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then, of course, what is why? What is, in, in, in English, what is why? If I said why to you, am I speaking of the letter or did I just ask you a question? Well, what is the ultimate question that is, that is um, you know, given to man in his course through the drama of life? Why? Why are we here? What are we doing here? What is the purpose of this? Why? Why? And so, ultimately, that gets to the heart of the, the mystery of the, the, you know, the human experience. Yeah, and as, as you look at it, I, I started imagining it you can kind of almost see it as the top view of a pyramid, that that the, the central point is the apex. Of, of. Yeah, the, and that's that's what's shown as the in the the uppercase of the majuscule of the letter is is that's a pyramidal form with the with the bottom open, of course. That the the lambda has also been associated with the tetractus, which is of course just the pyramid. Now, what's interesting about the uppercase letter of the lambda is 
I'm sorry, let me let me stop a second. Lambda is it's um I think it's the 11th, I want to say it's the 11th letter. And it, it has a value of 30 in Greek. Well, if we we're talking about the lamb, we're talking about where the sun rises every single day. Well, that's a 30 degree arc. So when we talk about astrology or we talk about astronomy, the fact that you have the 30 being that's the most important. That's where the sun rises. That's where we pray to the east. That's where, you know, the morning happens where the the glory of the sun rises every day and we have the birth of a new day. So we you know, we have that. The the lambda being associated with the tetractus is that the actual um um the, the multiples that you find within the detractus, we can't really get into this too much here, but are two and three. And you actually find those prominently displayed on both sides of that pyramid. So the fact that the Greek letter lambda is just the two lines of the pyramid is actually pointing to the multipliers of two and three. Two and three are extremely, extremely important in the study of sacred geometry because what you're looking at is the studies of ad quadratum, ad triangulum. These are, you know, like the Dome of the Rock is done with the study of ad quadratum. The square root of 2 and the square root of 3, the two numbers that we find within the multiples of the tetractus, the square root of 2 plus the square root of 3 gives it 3.14. So once again, something completely inherent within the geometry, not Pythagorean, not Chaldean, not Egyptian, not Hindu, not whatever, not Mayan. It's just something that's inherent with the, with, within the map. Anyone can find it. And so there goes that homogenous universality to what I think Pythagorean, Pythagoras was teaching, you know, and displayed beautifully in the Tetractus. Well, that was 42 minutes. Thank you for sharing it with us. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> You've been listening to Marty Leeds on SyncBook Radio, a production of the SyncBook.com. Information about the work of Marty Leeds can be found at martyleeds33.com. For more information about the SyncBook, our guests, to check out past shows, or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at 42minutes.com. Thanks so much, and govern your tongue before all other things, because the first rule of Fight Club is do not talk about Fight Club.
walking over to me This must be fake My lip starts to shake How does she know who I am? And why does she give a damn about? I've got two tickets to Iron Maiden 